one. You might like to turn to it, but don't worry if you haven't got your Bible, the verses will come up. We will walk through this passage. Mark 1, 21 to 39. And it's quite a unique passage, really, because in it we're allowed to get a glimpse of one day, one full day in the life of, of Christ. 24 hours uh, uh, out of his day, out of, out of his time. And there's a unique experience that you can follow through a whole day with him. And uh, that's what I want to do today. It's a unique, unique passage. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to meet with us as we go through these words and be changed. Hallelujah. Father, we want to thank you that, Lord, we get to turn to you and pray. We can talk to you, as Christine was saying, about talking to God. And we can talk to you now, and we know you hear us. And we know you're here. And we just pray by your spirit come and speak to us about this wonderful subject in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, there we go. Verse 21, we go through this passage and walk through a day. Walk through 24 hours with Jesus himself. Starts off with verse 21. Here we go. Verse 21, May, that's Jesus and the disciples. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. So this is in the early part of the day before lunch. And heads up, Capernaum was a large provincial town on the Sea of Galilee. So it's not just a few hundred, we're talking thousands, a few thousand people in this provincial town. And we read that it's Sabbath day, and that's the day back then when all the good Jews would come in, gather in, and they would hear teaching from the scriptures, and they would celebrate just who they are as God's people. Very much like what we do here. So, so this is our version of what went on in the synagogue back in Jesus' day. It is the church. It's like a service of the church. And Jesus, we read, is preaching and teaching in this church service. And then we read in the next verse, verse 22... It says the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So, so Jesus is teaching with power. He's teaching with authority. And then in verse 23, suddenly the service blows up. Right? Something happens in the service. Here it is. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. This is a, a morning service unlike uh, most morning services. We've had some great services. We've had some uh, not so great. Uh, this is like nothing we've had. This is a guy shrieking out, breaking out in the middle of the service. Who are you? It's very hostile. Who are you? And uh, what are you coming to do? This kind of confrontation. And I know when I've preached, I've never had anybody, well, I've had people shout at me when I've preached before down the years. Uh, I even had someone throw something at me once when I was out preaching on the streets. But I've not had this yet. A demonized man shrieking in the middle of the sermon. I'd like to. I really would. Uh, you know, so if you're feeling bad, don't you? <laughs> I would like to. Uh, but here it is. It's a, it's a demonic confrontation. And so Jesus has to deal with this guy. And so it says here, Jesus says, here, Jesus says be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Actually, the original language is far stronger than that. Right? It's like Jesus saying, shut up and come out. 
is very hostile. So it's not Jesus, not seeker-friendly Jesus at this point. It is Jesus full of authority and power. And then even when the demon does come out, it's not like it all just closes down or is calm again. There's a lot of carry-on still, isn't there? There's shrieking, there's shaking, convulsions. I imagine rows going down and scattering people, fleeing out of the area where this is going on. And uh, you wonder how on earth he got people back into their seats again afterwards. So it's an eventful service. And then we read this. Next we read this, verse 29. Right, the meeting is over. It says, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. And Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they immediately told Jesus about her. So they go back to Peter's place. And it's not as if he can sit down and have a cup of tea and put his feet up for a while because there's another situation. And uh, I just love what Jesus does. The next verse, it says, So Jesus went to her, took her by the hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. I just love Jesus' capacity to give out and give out and give out. After a busy morning, he's still giving out and happy to do so. And so, at last, they sit down to have a lunch, a late lunch that probably stretches into the afternoon. And uh, we know the disciples are still there. And if you read the Gospels, you'll know that whenever the disciples are around, Jesus continues to teach them and teach them. And uh, no doubt they talk about what happened earlier in the day. And uh, there's many a parable being shared <coughs> and other teaching being expressed throughout the afternoon until about 6 or 7 in the evening when something extraordinary begins to happen. The next verse is verse 32, says this. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered <coughs> at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. I mean, you've got to put yourself into the scene. Right? It says, when the sun had gone down, now, in the Middle Eastern, uh, in a, in a, in a, you know, most Middle Eastern people in that country at that time, when the sun goes down, the day ends. And uh, usually you roll out your sleeping mats and your blankets, and you might put the fire up a bit, you might maybe you know, tell a few stories around the fire, have a bit of hot chocolate. You're winding down at that point. But here we read something else is beginning to happen. I mentioned when something like this, there may have been a noise outside, a bit dark, or fires up, bed rolls are out. There's noise outside, there's feet running down the aisle, down the, the alleyways, there's doors slamming, dogs barking, people shouting. Imagine Peter going up to the door, opening the door, and looking out and seeing literally, it says, the whole town. Remember Capernaum. Many, many hundreds of people jostling, making their way down the narrow alleys towards Peter's porch. And uh, this isn't a nice, clean, modern-day crowd at a conference, you know, conference crowd, everybody's polite and well-turned out. Right? This is a third-world crowd. This is a, a poor nation. So there's no health care, there are no doctors, no immunization, no antibiotics, not much hygiene, and so, of course, everybody's ill. I've been to those kind of countries, you know, everybody's sick. And you've got hundreds and hundreds of them coming in. And, uh, and I just think, I don't know how I would have faced that after such a busy day. I don't know how I would face it anyway. People shouting, demons shrieking. 
But Jesus gets up again and moves into the crowd and he begins to minister and minister and bring healing and deliverance. And the thing is, we're not told how long it took for Jesus to get through everyone. We're not told that, are we? How long it took for him to bring healing to everyone. But it seems to me that if he didn't start until the sun had gone down, well, are we talking about the time he finished sent the last person away? Is it like 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. or 4 a.m.? Must have been very late. And you know, I think this. I think by the time that Jesus finally saw the last person off and finally put his head down on the pillow after such a long, long day, I just think he must have been shattered. Don't you? He must have been absolutely wiped out. I know he's God, but he's also man. And he knows what it is to be tired. He's been giving out all day. Which makes the next verse so startling. And this is a verse I want us to focus in on. It's this verse here. Verse 35, it says this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So just let that sink in for a second. Right? The guy's shattered. He's only been lying down for a few hours. Here he is, while it was still dark, maybe 5.30 a.m. 6. He's rolling out of bed, I imagine Jesus rolling out, wrapping his cloak around him, tiptoeing over the sleeping forms of the disciples, opening the door and going out into the dark to be alone with God. It's amazing. You see, so powerfully, this tells me a couple of things about prayer for Jesus. And the first obvious one is simply this, how much he must have valued it. How much he must be eager or, or desperate to be with his father. That's what that tells me. And actually, as you read more about Jesus, you find that that's how he is. And so you find this in, uh, in Luke 5, 16. It says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Hebrews 5, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. This is Jesus. This is what was, this is what was going on. He is constantly in prayer, huge part of his life. And straight away that raises a red flag, doesn't it? Or at least to me. <coughs> If Jesus regarded prayer so highly, so, so essential to fulfilling his calling from God, that he would rise to pray in those early hours as shattered as he was, then how on earth can I regard prayer so glibly, or lightly, or casually? How can I regard it as simply an adult at 10 minutes here or there at the end of the day? Something to do when I can fit it in. No, it seems here in Mark 1 that Jesus, it's almost like he can't, live without spending time with his Father and receiving his grace and power. I think that's very powerful. And maybe that should provoke us. I mean, the idea that we can, as it were, coast through life without God's grace and power is foreign to Jesus. And I've been thinking about this. I've been thinking, maybe our problem these days is more this, that we've lost an understanding that when we give our lives to Jesus, a whole new world of possibilities are open to us that can only be accessed by God's grace and power. I wonder. You see, I just want to remind you this morning, we've already been touching on it, God has an amazing plan for your life, <coughs> for every person in this room, 
God has an amazing plan. Before we give our lives to Jesus, our lives, as the Bible says, are, are, are stuck in the futility. That means we work so hard trying to build up happiness on earth. Buy more, buy more, be more, be more. Work harder, work harder. But at the end of the day, it all goes away. We're left with nothing. We're still left with a hole inside that really only God can fill. But then when we give our lives to Jesus, all of that changes. Number one, we become God's children. And God brings us into his great eternal plan. And our calling now, we have great purpose. Our calling is to bring his kingdom in, reflect his love, reach out and see the sick healed and see people set free, bring hope to the hopeless, bring life to a dying world, see churches raised up in glory and grace and power, and to see the nations transformed. That's our calling. And that's remarkable. But we need to understand, we can't do this without connecting deeply with God in prayer and receiving his power and his grace to bring us through to that. Right, we need to understand that. So the first thing I see in Mark 1 is that prayer for Jesus was not an optional extra. He depended on it for grace and power. And maybe we just need to be provoked about that too. That's the first point. And the second point, there's only two points. The second point is this. second thing I know is just how purposely he drew aside to be alone with God. It was very purposeful. Against the odds... He makes it happen. He actually rolls out of bed before anybody else is up and he goes out on his own to be with God. It's very purposeful. He fights for it. And actually, if you look over in Matthew 6, when Jesus is teaching about prayer, all right, he actually makes a big thing of this. All right, he says this in Matthew 6, verse 5. He says, when you pray, he says, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But, but when you pray, go into your rooms, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. All right? In other words, among other things, in this passage, Jesus is really saying this. Look, there is something about drawing aside to a place of privacy and intimacy with God. There's something about shutting the door on the distractions and the pull and the demands of the world around you. There's something about shutting the door on all of that and being you alone with God. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, that's not to say it's not good to gather with others to pray. Of course it is. And as a church, we do that frequently. And it doesn't mean it's not good to bring God into the busyness and the activities of the day and chat with them as we go through it. Whether you're walking along the street or, or driving the car in the rush hour or, or down the corridor between offices. Of course that's good to do. But I think this passage tells me there's something more. There's actually something more. Something about carving out time and place. About being hidden with the Father alone with him, no one else around. There's something he values in that kind of prayer to the point that he says, and the Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Right? That's how God regards that. Now, as soon as I, as soon as I talk about carving out time and spending time alone with God, I know the odds are against us immediately, aren't they? Because busy lives, 
There's, such, there's so much going on in our lives, aren't there? And sometimes it's hard to fight for those kind of moments and to put time aside for God. I mean, we do live with whether it's demand from work, whether it's family demands, whether it's church demands, there is so much going on, especially when you have kids. There's always something going on. And even in your spare time, and these days more than ever, there's so much clamouring, isn't there? You know, whether it's, I don't know, Netflix or Sky or, you know, or whatever your entertainment might be, whatever your choice of entertainment is, it's all waiting for your attention. In fact, you know what, I was thinking about this before I came out this morning, I think this has got a lot to answer for. Yeah? Jolly phones. There's so much. There's Facebook, there's YouTube, there's stuff. There's everything that just fill in every little minute you've got. It's here. And the other thing about it is, it's always going off. Don't you find? Somebody's texting. And I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, but when anybody texts me, it always comes with a sense of urgency. You know, it's like now, 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 now. And, uh, and you've got no control over it. It's almost like when someone texts, they need an answer now. And if you don't answer, then by the end of the day, you've got 10 texts that you haven't answered yet, and then you feel really stressed. So I think this has got a lot to answer for, you know. The odds are against us. But you see, I look at Mark 1, and I see that Jesus contended for time. Contended for time. It wasn't just handed to him on the plate. Crowds swarmed after him. Every moment there was a crowd waiting somewhere to hound him. Yet he still contended for time alone with his father. And you know, I think for some of us, we may need to learn to contend again. And to make a few choices. You know, to decide in our hearts, I want more of my Christian life than this. I praise God God for what it is, but there is so much more potential. I want to see more of his grace and power at work. I want to fulfill his calling of me. I need to contend again for time alone. I need to contend again. I know there are seasons of life that make that very hard. I still remember as a young dad in particular, when I was a young father, you know, with kids, they don't seem to, they choose to wake up or go to sleep whenever they want. And uh, I still remember as a dad being so tired and uh, not having enough time. And I remember putting the alarm on about 3 a.m. just to get a few moments with God alone, having to fight for time. <coughs> so I know it's not easy, uh, especially when your kids are small. I know there'll be some young mums and dads here today who are thinking, Pete, just getting here on a Sunday is a big enough deal. And I totally get that. You know, just to be here. I'm so tired. And you look around some of the young fathers and mums and they have bags under their eyes and we have young children. And uh, I totally get that too. But I don't think you need to miss out still. There's room for partnership, isn't there? I'll say this, husbands, one of your key jobs is to serve the wife that God has given you by freeing up time and taking the kids and saying, you take half an hour, you take whatever time you need. And you serve them that way. Wives, you can give your husband space for if it's for that. <coughs> Facebook, no. But if it's for that, yes. We can partner with each other here. And even as we get older, you know there's always pressures. It's funny, when your kids are small, oh, you're so tired. When your kids are teenagers, oh, you're so tired. Because they're, they're coming in late at night now. So it never ends. You're always going to be tired. I found when you're a grandfather, oh, you're always tired. 
We always have to fight for this, don't we? But we can press through. We need partnerships to help us through. For all of us, we have a call to contend, to carve out time, turn the phone off, turn off the telly to make it happen. You know, Matthew 6, this passage, that last line, I love that last line, it says, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Will reward you. And I think that's a powerful promise. And actually, back in Mark 1, you can see it working out. We'll just close with this thought. See, in verse 35, remember, Jesus has trapped outside, he shut the door, it's this still before dawn, and he's praying, he's with his father. And then in verse 36, the disciples eventually wake up. And so it says here, verse 36, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you! Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. I just love this passage. Because on the one hand, you've got the disciples in his face immediately. Everyone's here. Come on, come now, now. The momentum from yesterday, the crowds are coming in. You need to step up, Jesus. Off we go again. That's the disciples. And then you have Jesus. He's been with the Father. He has heaven's perspective. He has the will of the Father. And he's not giving in to any pressure. Let us go somewhere else. Yeah, I know it's all happening here, but let us go somewhere else. I am calling to <coughs> Knowing God and his perspective and his power is the reward. There is the reward. The reward is heaven. Ronald Dunn, the great uh, talker on prayer, he simply says this. He says about Paul, the Apostle Paul, he says, Paul does not see prayer as merely a way to get things from God, but as a way to get more of God himself. Prayer is a striving to take hold of God. And what he means by that is God by his grace is here and he's, we can talk to him, we can chat with him, we can meet with him at any time. The striving part is simply that we put time aside in a busy schedule and we begin to seek him. What we find is praying like that is actually laying hold of more of him. And the more of him that we lay hold of, the more we see of his grace and power at work around us. And folks, if there's one thing this world needs, it is people who have got hold of God, who know him and his grace and power. And that's what your work colleagues need more than anything. It's what your kids need more than anything. It's that you know God, that you are full of him. And this world needs a church full of people like that. And my testimony is this. I believe this recently, in the last several months again, God is calling me to pray calling me aside, Pete, you need to pray. And so I've been trying to put time aside. I have to fight for it every day. But I am finding this, that God is happy to be found. God is happy to be found. And there is a reward for those who seek Him. God is speaking to more than just me. I believe as a church we are on the cusp of something. I really believe that. And I believe that the breaking through of the cusp, this year is all about breakthrough. That was the word we had at the beginning of the year. That word breakthrough means there are many breakthroughs going on around the place, in all kinds of ways. But I believe there is a calling to breakthrough in prayer. I really do. I know many of you have heard this kind of thing over the years. 
but there comes a fresh sense of an urgency of now, of now, of now. Because there are things that God wants to launch among us. There are things that God wants to do through you. God has a wonderful plan for your life and an amazing vision for the church. Amen. Let's just stand. This is devotion, really. It's about devotion. It's about coming back to the source of life and grace and power. It's about coming back to the source of blessing, the source of the Spirit. Can we just bow our heads and forget about the person next to you for a moment? Just a moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you so much for the privilege, the gift of prayer. Even as Christine was talking about it earlier, just to talk to you, the one who made me and who made the universe, the one who welcomes me, the one who sent his son so that I might come and enter in. Father, we thank you for the gift. And we pray, Lord, in these days that you would stir us again to contend again. To begin to make choices again. To begin to say, I'm not just going to be swept along by the busyness of life. I'm not going to be swept along by the need to go on Facebook or whatever. But I'm going to seek your face. Your face, Lord. Your face. I'm going to seek you. So Father, I pray you come upon us increasingly by your Holy Spirit. Stir us again to walk like your son did on the earth. Loving you. Allowing prayer to be such a big part of his life. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now as we're praying, I just want to ask you, now just be prompted in your own heart. What changes? Maybe it's, I want to take up the fight again. I want to take up the contending. I want to look at my life again. I want to lay some things down. I want to shut the door on a few things. I want to begin to walk this new walk because my God wants to be there. He wants to pour His grace out of my life. Just ask God to help you with that. Just to speak to you about your life now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit.